Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here, Locked On Nationals podcast. On today's show, Connor Jones joins me to break down the 2020 60-game schedule of the Washington Nationals. We hope you guys enjoy. 3-2 to Suzuki. Kurt Suzuki! See you later! The Nats have won it! Seven runs in the bottom of the ninth! This is deep to center field. Bellinger's back. It's a grand slam. Howie Kendrick with a 10th inning grand slam to break it open. The former Dodger breaking hearts of Los Angeles. The kick in. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. You are listening to the Locked On Nationals podcast, your one-stop shop for news, analysis, and conversation surrounding your reigning undisputed World Series champion Washington Nationals. Now, here's your host, Josh Neighbors. Hello, everybody. Locked On Nationals podcast. Uh, Big news with the schedules being released. Last night, we're recording this on Tuesday night. Connor Jones is with me. We'll do a deep dive here in a little while. And I mean, obviously not a ton to dive into compared to a normal um, 162 game schedule. But, um, you know, Connor, your initial thoughts when you, when you saw the schedule in terms of structure, how they're playing teams and when they're playing them, especially, I mean, with like travel and, you know, those concerns about COVID. But just your initial thoughts about how the schedule shapes up um, what was your first impression? Yeah, yesterday I was looking at it, and I think that it shaped up as about as well as you could hope for as a Nationals fan when you look at the schedule overall. Obviously, you knew it was going to be tough. Um, any team in the East is going to have a tough schedule when you're playing strictly the National League and the American League East. There's not many off nights. But one break that you notice right out of the gate for the Nats is they get to play the Orioles six times out of the AL East, while which is going to be more than any other team in their division. So six is the is the max you can play um another team from the opposite uh from the opposite league and the nationals were fortunate to draw the orioles six times while each other team in the division drew someone else in the america and the al east six different times you also notice that 13 of the last 18 games are at home um not that there's going to be much home park advantage in terms of crowd noise or anything like that in a season like this but i still think that can be helpful in terms of comfort especially in a year like this where you can kind of minimize travel there towards the end. You're kind of comfortable in your, in your familiar setting. If you're coming down in a, in a push for the division or for a wild card spot at the end, I think having those 13 of the last 18 games at home could help. I don't mute myself. We'll just cut this out. Yeah, the comfort was one thing that I was thinking about, too. I think, especially with how uncertain things are, the comfort's going to be a bigger factor this year, right? Like, it's almost as if home, home field advantage is still going to be important because that's a whole new element. Like, you, you take out fans, but you replace that with the ability to be with your family during a time where you're going to be traveling on the road, and your road experience is going to be so much different. And at least your home experience is going to be somewhat normal to what you're, you're used to, right? Yeah, I think that's going to be the probably – I say, so yeah, basically in that regard, I still think there is some benefit to playing home games right. for that reason. I mean, I th- I'd say that probably that's the most beneficial thing about playing home games in Major League Baseball anyway, 
is being able to, you know, get to the field, get to the spot where you're accustomed to being and going through your routine in the, and the place where you're used to doing it. Um, so I think, I think that can certainly be helpful. Another thing that jumps out to me kind of with this schedule is that the Nats have a chance to get off to a pretty strong start when you uh, look at who they have after that tough opening Yankees series. And they have Toronto for four, uh, Miami for three, a couple with the Mets, but then three with the Orioles, four more with the Mets, and then three again with the Orioles after that. So you have some good opportunities there against Toronto, Miami, and Baltimore to hopefully get out to a hot start. Um, with the two New York teams, there's going to be some tough games mixed in there, but that's still a pretty, pretty nice draw coming out of the gate. Yeah, I think as fans, like especially with college football, I like to group the games into pods of four, even with pro football too. I think the best way to look at it is pods of four, right? You break up a 12-game season. If you're talking about college, uh, you know, into four-game sections. With pro, it's four-game sections, four, four-game sections. Um, and I think with baseball, you know, it's weird. It's tough to break the, the season up into sections when it's 162. But I almost feel like the best way to look at each one of these sections you know, is, is almost, you know, 10, you know, six, 10-game sections or – four 15 game sections or, you know, just kind of finding those pods, um, you know, where things work for you. And, you know, my eye was drawn to that stretch, like you were talking about, Connor, after New York, excuse me, but before they go to the Mets. So they play the Yankees. And like you said, they got four at Toronto, two on the road, or excuse me, two at home, then two on the road, three at Miami, two against New York at home, and then three versus Baltimore. So, I mean, we know, I know we think that, you know, the Mets should be a decent team, but um, the Nats should be favorites, you know, against Toronto, against Miami, and against Baltimore. And you get two with the Mets that you squeeze in there. And hopefully, if the, the, the Nats are playing good baseball, you know, you feel like those Mets games at home are much more manageable if you're playing a good, a good you know, type of ball at that time. So I think that's, that's the best stretch I see off the top of my head. What about you? Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. And another reason for it is the fact there's so many off days mixed in right. to, towards the beginning of their schedule. I think something maybe people don't think about is that playing that opener on Thursday rather than Friday gives them a day off right out of the gate, which allows you to roll with the four man rotation if you want to for a little bit to start the season. I mean, they don't, everybody's talking about the fifth starter, but they don't really need to use a fifth starter for a while up until um, it would look like to me, August the 11th against the Mets. So they could go July 23rd up until August the 11th with a four man rotation. And assuming everybody's healthy, that's something I think that I would do. If I was the Nats, you on a 60 game year, you don't have much time to, to wait around. Like maybe you could in a 162 game season, trying to keep guys fresh. You kind of feel like you need to fire your bullets from the get go. And I think, uh, you know, with that schedule, with those off days, you can go with the four-man rotation, and that doesn't even mention the fact that, you know, as you were saying, there's a lot of teams in there where it gives you some good chances to win, a, win hopefully, a good amount of series. Yeah, and then I'll go kind of the tough part. I mean, you look at the schedule, and Friday, August 28th, they go to Boston. And from that point forward until uh, September 16th, they finish at Tampa. Here's what they have. Three with at Boston, four in Philadelphia, three in Atlanta, two at home against Tampa, Four at home against Atlanta and two at Tampa, um, especially that section where they play three with Tampa, two, uh, excuse me, three with Atlanta, two with Tampa, four with Atlanta, two with Tampa. That is, that is going to be a tough schedule. And then you throw in the fact that the, the first seven games are three with Boston and four to Philly all on the road. So, um, you know, we, obviously we don't know how those teams are going to be playing at this time, but if things play out like we think they will, 
we think this is going to be a steel cage match in the East for both divisions where we get a lot of teams kind of in the same range. These games are going to be dogfights. I mean, these are all going to be scraps, it feels like, once we hit this part of the season. Yeah, that schedule, that, that part of the schedule, no doubt, is brutal. I mean, you have every team on that list is a legitimate playoff contender. Um, we still don't know what we're going to see out of a couple of those teams. Maybe Boston, their rotation's a question mark. Same thing with Philadelphia, but the offensive firepower is certainly there for both of those teams. So you know that it's going to be tough getting 27 outs anytime, anytime you match up with either Boston or Philadelphia. Atlanta and Tampa Bay, same thing goes. Good lineups there, and, and they have some pitching to go along with it, especially the, the Rays at the front of that rotation. So that's no doubt, in my opinion, the toughest part of the schedule. Um, you kind of you want to build a little bit of a, a cushion before you head into that part of the schedule. Atlanta and Washington are probably the two favorites at the top of the NL East. I think the Mets and the Phillies are certainly teams that could win it too, which is going to make the the year so much fun. But you know, when you have eleven or seven games there with Atlanta, um, four with Tampa, and you have to kick it off with Boston and Philadelphia. Philadelphia. that's going to be tough so you kind of want to maybe build up a little bit of a cushion to if so you can hopefully tread water um, for lack of a better term over that stretch yeah and it's not like you know the other teams are are exempt from this like they all have sections of their schedule that are absolutely brutal I mean you know I've been saying this it's, it's all killer no filler and and the issue is I mean not the issue but we came into the season saying the NL East is the most competitive division Throw in now the fact that the season gets shortened. And, oh, yeah, as opposed to playing, you know, the teams in the West that are juggling, you know, maybe getting a nice West Coast swing of, you know, uh, some San Diego, Arizona, Colorado teams. And, I mean, you know, if you're contending, you should beat them. They're not proven. Um, and, you know, then you, then you replace them with the Yankees, the Rays, the Red Sox, the, you know, the Blue Jays. And, you know, not, the Orioles obviously being the one team that's not competitive, but, like, the, you know, the, even the Blue Jays want to show competitive stretches. It, it's, it, I don't think we can quantify how, like, ridiculous the schedule is until we see all these teams fighting for it. And I, expe I expect it to be brutal. Like, it's going to feel like a grind, even though it's only 60 games. Like, for these teams in the East, it's going to feel like, like every single game is just a war and every single decision matters so much. Because it's a bunch of teams that are all playing the same circumstances. I mean, they all have the same goal, obviously, of winning. But, like, I think they're all taking this like a normal season. You know, it's from the word go. I mean, everybody is going to be just scratching and clawing. Yeah, with, the, with really across baseball, especially in the NL East, every team, for the most part, is going to be in the mix for the vast majority of the season. So you're not going to have teams that are out of it in July selling, selling out of it like they would in a normal year. It's going to be kind of up and downs you know there's going to be some some strong swings and some tough swings as well and and I expect four teams in the NL East to be in it right down to close to the finish I don't think you look at any of these teams and you think they're going to take themselves out of the race early on AL East it's pretty similar I think New York and Tampa Bay are the the class of the division and I think Boston has the potential to cause a lot of problems as well with their offense so for the most part you really only see two uh maybe three teams on the schedule that aren't gonna aren't gonna contend this year which I think makes it makes it more interesting maybe than even a normal year in terms of just the regular season because you really are going to only play as as the Nationals or as any team within this 10 team pod you're going to play three teams 
max that aren't going to be in contention. And there's times across a 162-game season where you may play three teams that aren't going to contend in a two-week span. So that's just something that you're accustomed to seeing in a normal year, but you're just not going to have those, those nights off or weeks off to kind of catch your breath um, with an opponent that, that may not be up to your talent level. Last thing before I get you out of here. I mean, we saw yesterday was a bad day for Major League Baseball with the testing. It was just a disaster. Spoke to Graham Paulson about it. And, you know, I think a lot of us felt much better about the, the chances for a season that featured a lot, of, um, a lot of the players that we know and love. And, you know, yesterday, Connor, I think, I think if, you're a, if you're a top-tier player, you know, a guy who's in his 30s, maybe has a family, and you saw what happened yesterday, I think there's no way that you can't be discouraged with just the way that the MLB had a delay in testing, unlike the, you know, or excuse me, getting the test results back, unlike that we've seen in other sports. We have, you know, we really haven't seen something that bad in other sports. Um, you know, do you think we make it to July 24th with a, many of the players that we know and love intact? Yeah, I do. I, I, I certainly am hopeful of that now. I think we're going to see a few more guys drop out for sure just kind of as they get accustomed and see what they're going to be what they're going to be dealing with over the course of the year I think the common theme of guys dropping out it's it's older players that have already earned a a large amount of money over the course of their career and they're not on big contracts right now so it's guys that don't really have that much to lose financially and don't really have that much to lose in terms of where they're at in their career uh, Joe Ross is an exception to that rule, but I think you see guys like Zimmerman, guys like Mark Kakis uh, that aren't playing that it makes sense. They're all pretty understandable. I don't think you're going to see the big contract guys drop out, maybe one or two. I think that you're not going to really see the young guys drop out that are fighting for roster spots. Um, and But the testing obviously was a concern. I mean, I think everything that that players and management brought up there is completely valid. I don't think if you show up to the to work on Monday and you don't have your test results from Friday, that's clearly a problem and that has to get straightened out. But you know, I'm hopeful that they'll they'll be able to take care of that because you just can't have teams canceling workouts already, especially when you look at how little time there is to get ready for the season and how quickly it is is approaching. So that for sure needs to get fixed. Yeah, and it was tough. I mean, you saw some teams got to carry on. You know, some teams got to have some inner squad scrimmages and and. You know, the Yankees are playing right now. I mean, the, the Nats weren't able to get themselves in that position because they had to cancel their workout yesterday. So, um, you know, kind of considering those things, it was it was. I mean, it was a disadvantage, right? I mean, we're talking about a situation that is. I mean, it's all not fair in general, but it's it's yeah. now starting to become specifically unfair to certain teams. I mean, for the Nats, I can tell you, or from what it sounds like right now, four of the the anticipated opening day nine guys in the lineup right are, are not at workouts today and that's that's kind of concerning because you're already worried about hitting being a little beyond the pitching not getting those live at bats like they would as much in a normal spring so you know that's that's concerning when you think of what kind of start they're going to get out to because Kendrick and Castro aren't there I mean we can I mean, people can can guess why. I mean, I have, I have no clue if they're the two guys that tested positive or not, but they may be. Maybe they're not there for other reasons, but but point is they're not there. Um, their health is certainly the most important thing, but it's it's a it's tough not having two of your middle of the lineup guys not there. Right. They haven't been there yet. Saint Juan Soto and Victor Robles now um, are are quarantining as well. So hopefully everybody will will first stay healthy and second be able to get back out there soon. But yeah, you're. It's just kind of some of the things you have to deal with in a season like this. 
Yeah, concerning to say the least. Um, that'll do it for this version of, of uh, the Locked On Nationals podcast. A lot happening. It's weird. We have nothing to talk about. And now it seems like we've got a whole lot to talk about. Uh, make sure you guys check out the Locked On Fantasy Baseball podcast and the Locked On MLB podcast, all part of the Locked On Podcast Network.